Welcome back to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And I am the co-host, Austin. And we were just talking about how weird it feels not posting two episodes a week. I feel like, I mean, going from two to one is such a huge difference in our lives. I don't know if it's a difference in literally anybody else's lives. Probably not, but... We hope you enjoy every episode just as much. For sure. Um, But yeah, it's definitely, it's a huge load off. So I appreciate those of you who have understood kindly why we decided to drop it down to one episode a week. Um... However, there is going to be a second episode this week for our Patreons. So if you are a member of our Patreon, you'll be getting that exclusive episode this week. So So if you're looking for some Mama Mystery action, more of it in your life. That's where you'll find it. Be a Patreon. Yeah, patreon.com. Mama Mystery. Or what? (laughs) Patreon.com slash Slash Mama Mystery. Mama Mystery. And um, before we get started, I would just really super appreciate if you would share or review our podcast just to kind of get that review for sure. Yeah. Hey, before we get started too, I have something to add. What? So this is, this this. is kind of random. It's not crime, but so Kelly, we, we talked about the LaJala thing and we have all these little funny, like funny things that come up, you know, just like in talking, this is just random. You're going to enjoy it. I think so. Yogi Berra is a, Yankees player in like the 30s, 40s, 50s. Probably, no, he's probably born in the... Anyways, he's a Yankees player from like the 50s, okay? And he has these isms because he just... I don't know if he wasn't very smart or what, and I'm going to read them. There's 10 of them. Oh, okay. I was not prepared for this, but go for it. Well, this one's not that crazy. He says, it ain't over till it's over. Okay. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. (laughs) Good advice. You can observe a lot just by watching. No one goes there nowadays. It's too crowded. Uh, okay. It's like deja vu all over again. <laughs> I Base- like that one. Baseball is 90% mental and the other half is physical. Okay. <laughs> he just wasn't very smart. The future ain't what it used to be. Oh my God. I like that one. I like that one too. That's like a good tattoo. <laughs> this one's so good. I can't believe he said this. Always go to other people's funerals. Otherwise, they'll, they won't come to yours. <laughs> That's good advice. A nickel ain't worth a dime anymore. And then the last one was, if you don't know where you're going, you'll end up someplace else. <laughs> and that's just like his top 10. He says all kinds of dumb shit throughout his career. So Yogi Bear. That is hilarious. So I feel like those probably all could be like, you know. Bumper stickers. Bumper stickers, but like you could probably find some sort of hidden genius meaning in it. Right. And I'm sure he didn't mean anything to be smart about any of those. A nickel sayings, ain't worth but... a dime anymore. Right on. It's good advice. Anyway, happy Monday, people. Okay, so today we are talking about Danielle Locklear, and our story takes place in 2014 in Hope Mills, North Carolina. So Hope Mills is a fairly small town south of Raleigh, and uh, did I say that right? Raleigh or Raleigh? I don't know for sure. I think it's Raleigh. 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 I think there's there's a college there. Let's just call it Raleigh. And Fayetteville, south of Fayetteville. Um, This town was kind of small. There were only two high schools in the town, and one of them was Southview High School, which was where 15-year-old Danielle Locklear was just a freshman. 
So Danielle was described by her mother as a firecracker. She was this beautiful girl with these piercing, beautiful eyes, a sunny, bubbly personality. She had the ability to get along with absolutely anybody. And she was even a mentor at her church during the summer youth camps. Danielle didn't really belong to a particular group or social circle. She literally got along with everyone. I feel like that's kind of how I was. Like, I didn't really have just one click. I was always kind of friends with everybody. No social butterfly? Yeah, I guess. Maybe. Not so much anymore. I'm much <laughs> more introverted now. But um, she got straight A's, and she was also in ROTC. And she loved making videos for her YouTube channel. So she was, like, really outgoing, just a quintessential, you know, teenage girl. Live in the dream. So in 2013, I'm going to back it up before this story kind of takes place. Danielle was actually living in Autryville. And at this time, her mom was going through a difficult divorce. And so she asked her family, um, specifically Danielle's grandparents, if it would be okay for Danielle to stay with them for a little bit while she worked that out. And they welcomed her with open arms, so Danielle moved in with her grandparents and started attending Southview High School. Her family was super tight-knit, and her aunt, Sheena Simmons, was very close to Danielle, very involved in her life, and they all spent a lot of time together. Danielle was the type of kid who was always offering to help out her family, whether it was helping with things around the house or even just running errands. She never shied away from family time, unlike most teenagers, I feel like, at that age. Like, Mm -hmm. she was just a good kid. Then Danielle started dating a boy named Jamichael Malloy, and they quickly fell head over heels for each other, like a lot of these, you know, young teenage romances tend to do. And Jamichael and Danielle had actually known each other for quite a while because they met as volunteers at a youth center in Autryville, where Danielle was originally from. So Jamichael was a senior at a different school, and he was a little more introverted than Danielle. He was a nice, quiet kid. He was also in the ROTC. He had plans to join the military after graduation. And their relationship was mostly positive, but of course, like any high school relationship, it had its ups and downs. They were kind of off and on sometimes, which is not unheard of. But all in all, though, it seemed like the pair was genuinely happy together. Both families supported their relationship. Like, this is just to kind of give you a background Mm -hmm. of their relationship, right? So the end of Danielle's freshman year was looming when on March 11th of 2014, Danielle asked her, her grandpa, which it was actually like her step-grandpa, but it's irrelevant, if she could run down the street to a friend's house to return a notebook from school. And he gave her permission to go, but you know, told her to just be back soon. At the time, her aunt and grandmother were in Atlanta, so it was just her grandpa who was in charge. And that next morning, Danielle's grandpa calls her Aunt Sheena and says, hey, Danielle didn't come home last night. So Sheena calls her sister Rona, which is Danielle's mom, and tells her Danielle is missing. And instant panic ensues, of course. Police were called. A missing persons report was made. The thing is that I guess was kind of odd about the missing missing persons report was that her grandpa didn't call the police until after she talked to his wife, so her grandma. Hold on. Hold on. Say that again. Yeah, so the grandpa didn't call the grandma until, or I mean, sorry, didn't call the police until after he spoke with the grandma about Danielle being missing. Not crazy. So some people just kind of thought, like, 
why did you wait so long? And why would you wait to file a missing persons report? And his response to that was, I thought you had to wait 24 hours. And I think that's a very common misconception Mm -hmm. that somebody has to be missing for a certain amount of time before you can really do something about it. I thought that was the case. Mm -hmm. Um, But especially with kids, you need to get it out there ASAP. There's no minimum amount of time a kid has to be missing. Like you need to call right away. So Detective Josh Hamilton becomes the lead investigator on the case. And at first, they were hopeful that maybe she was just at a friend's house or maybe she ran away. But her family knew, as responsible as Danielle was, that she would not just leave and spend the night somewhere without letting somebody know. So they go to Jamichael and they ask if he had seen her. And he said no. They'd actually broken up and he hadn't heard from her in a few days. Because as I mentioned earlier... They had their ups and downs, so this really wasn't all that surprising considering they had just had a falling out recently that the family knew about because he was apparently talking to another girl. So anyway, they broke up. So then her family calls her school, and they inform her that she had actually skipped school the day before, which was totally out of character for her. But come to find out, this was not an uncommon thing for kids at Southview High School. Near the school, there was this popular secluded creek that many of the kids from the school would go play in during school hours. They would skip class, they'd go play in the creek, and then they'd either go back to school or ride the bus home as if they'd actually been at school all day. So Danielle told her Aunt Sheena about this creek. And so Sheena knew of this creek. She didn't know where it was, but she knew that it existed, that kids liked to play in it. Mm -hmm. Um, But apparently Danielle told her that it was nasty and that she wouldn't be going back. Well, now that Danielle is missing, Sheena thinks, I need to go look for this creek. Maybe she's down at the creek. So she starts looking for this creek, but she doesn't even know where it is. So she actually asks a neighborhood kid to show her where this creek is, and he knows where it is. So he shows her, and as they're walking on a trail towards the creek, Sheena notices on the ground the word, the word help carved out in the mud. No way. I just got the goosebumps. What the heck? Carved into the mud? Carved into, like, the dirt. It's dried up, but you can see that it's been carved with a stick. Just the word, all caps, help. Man, this seems like it would be, like, at the goosebumps again. It seems like it would be just, like, kids messing around, but then when you say, came across this and she's missing and everything, it's like, what? Mm Mm-hmm. So she calls the police, and the police go to the creek to search the area with Sheena. And at the creek, you can tell that this is a popular hangout spot because there's clothes, trash scattered along the edge of the creek where kids obviously like change their clothes because they get wet in the creek. There's fire pits and remnants of homework scattered along the banks. And as she's searching with police, they come upon a sock And Sheena recognizes this sock. It's one of Danielle's fuzzy night socks. It's like gray and white stripes. Did I say that white? Right? White and gray stripes. Mm -hmm. Sorry. And uh, anyway, Sheena bought her those socks, so she immediately recognized that those are Danielle's socks. But she would never just wear her night socks out without shoes. And why was there only one sock? Where was the other sock? Mm -hmm. And you could tell, too, that it was kind of rolled up as if maybe, you know, it was kind of rolled off her foot. Like if you're being dragged, then, Mm -hmm. you know, your socks might roll off. It was kind of rolled up as if maybe it was rolled off of her. 
So continuing on with her own investigation, Sheena finds the girl who was supposed to get the notebook from Danielle the night that she went missing. And this, this friend admitted that she never saw Danielle that night, but she had been texting Danielle earlier that day. And Danielle sent pictures, sent the girl pictures of herself from being at the Creek earlier that day. And it took some prying, but Sheena was able to get the names of the other kids who were at the creek that day. Because in the pictures, Danielle was wearing these glasses that didn't belong to her. But in the reflection of the glasses, you can see the figures of like three or four people who were there with her at the creek. So she's prying this friend. She's like, who are the other people that were there with her? She gets their names and um, she figures out who was playing hooky with Danielle. One of the girls that was there was Danielle's close friend, Caroline. And according to some of the other kids at the creek that day, there was a kid there named Angel. Angel's a boy. And apparently the rumor was that Danielle was cuddling up to this kid named Angel. But Angel had a girlfriend um, and apparently was like kissing Danielle at the creek and messing around with her, even though everyone there knew he had a girlfriend. And so, she has a boyfriend. And she has a boy- Well, off again boyfriend. But okay. still... This rumor starts going around, but Caroline later confirmed that that was not ever true. Angel was actually talking to another girl there named Cammy. but it just kind of is important to note because at the time they thought that was the truth, so they're thinking, okay, did something happen with this Angel kid? Wait, what's uh, the name of the girl missing? Danielle. Okay, I, I, I got it. Never mind. Mm-hmm. I was so, something else. So they ask Angel, you know, if he had been with her that day. I think this is before they figured out that Angel was actually canoodling with this girl, Cammie. But they're asking Angel, like, do you know Danielle? Were you with Danielle that day? And he tells them, no, I have no idea who Danielle is. I, I didn't see her that day. So when the stories aren't matching up, the, the alarm bells are kind of going off about this Angel kid. But then it comes out that he was actually cuddling with somebody else, and it all just, you know, fizzled out. So... This is just one of many times that what seems like a lead fizzles out. And I think it's because you're dealing with a lot of teenage kids. Drama and who don't take it serious. Yeah, and they just, they, they don't. Their Nobody rel- knows what the truth is, but they all think they know what the truth is. And they have their relationship drama intertwined into it. Right. Yeah. So you'll come to see, you'll come to find how these teenagers, you know, really affect this case in a big way. But um, anyway, investigators bring in her on-again, off-again ex-boyfriend, Jermichael. He actually came in voluntarily, and he was more, more than willing to help. He told them that she mentioned before that she had felt like she was a burden to her grandma and wanted to go back to South Carolina, or I'm sorry, to, yeah, well, to South Carolina, because they're in North Carolina, okay? Mm-hmm. And he also let them know that she admitted to being depressed in the past, and um, he even tells Sheena that, um, that I guess she had mentioned being depressed and th- that she had thought about killing herself. And she was talking about drowning herself in cold water. Like, that was something that he said Danielle had told him in the past. Sounds sketchy. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a random way to say that you're going to kill yourself. I mean, right. it's just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to do with that information. You can decide to do with it what you will. So anyway, he also tells them that on the night she went missing, he was at home studying and even had a friend over named Dominic Locke. And he and Dominic were best friends. So they end up checking cell phone records and they check with parents. And 
it all checks out. There were no messages or phone calls between him and Danielle on his phone. The GPS showed that when he sent messages from his phone to his friends, that he was at his house, like he said. And he also lived like at least 30 minutes to an hour from Danielle, but he did not have a car. So the logistics of his alibi, they were all on his side. So now they're back to square one again. The police just start questioning students at the school at this point. How many hours in do you think we are from the case, or how many days? Um, This is probably within a couple days of her going missing. So they start questioning students at the school, but like you would expect from kids at high school, everyone's stories differ, and the rumor mill starts running rampant, and one name keeps coming up over and over, and his name was Derek. And the story was that Derek had a crush on Danielle, and when he tried to ask her out, she turned him down. And the rumor swirled that he lost his cool when she turned him down, so he slit her neck and threw her in the lake, in a lake. So multiple kids were repeating this same story, and they also get her cell phone records back, and they find that the last location her cell phone pinged was within the area of Derek's house. So they brought in Derek for questioning. So Derek, just a little bit about him. He's kind of maybe a little bit of a loner. He's misunderstood. Um, and he, he has this like false sense of confidence that I think stems from really deep insecurity. Mm-hmm. You know, how some kids just, mm-hmm. you know, you can just tell when they're overly confident, they're actually deeply insecure. So this kid comes in for questioning, and while he's in the interrogation room, he's smoking a cigarette, and he's acting very just nonchalant and laid back. And investigators start asking him about Danielle. How old is he? 16. 16 or 17 at the time. I mean, he's in high school. And he admits that he knows of her, but he doesn't really know her well. And he says that she's more of a goody-goody, and that he doesn't hang out with goody-goodies because they have a bad habit of snitching. And he'll be honest, he does do illegal things. And then he even tells them that, like, he was the one who founded the creek. I'm the one that originally founded that area. Like, I'm the founder of that spot. God, it sounds like such a typical, like, teenage douchebag. I know. And, yeah. It, unfortunately, yes. Um, but he tells them that the night Danielle went missing, he was at home searching for jobs on the internet, but that they wouldn't find any record of that because he has a bad habit of erasing his internet history every time he's on the computer. And he claims that it's because he's been hacked before. And even though he was home, there was nobody there who could vouch for him because his dad was at like a pool tournament or like a pool house or whatever Mm -hmm. you call that, like a pool hall. So um, naturally, investigators go to his house to search the property and they found a burn pit in the backyard. They found some shovels with what appeared to be blood on them. So they're starting to think, okay, we've got our guy, like this is it. But after testing the shovels, it turned out not to be blood and the search warrant, um, I'm sorry, the search warranted a dead end. So they're back to square one again. What? Yeah, and, you know, I feel really bad for this Derek kid because, yeah, he comes off in the interview as, like, a little bit of a tool, Mm -hmm. but I do think he's just kind of a misunderstood kid. You know, he's immature, very immature. Has no idea who he is in life. And has no idea that the things he's saying, you know, aren't doing him any favors when he's like, you know, I got, I do illegal things. And, I mean, yeah, I was on my computer, but, like, I erased my search history. Like, 
Okay. Okay. We get it, buddy. You watch a lot of porn. <laughs> I mean, that's my first thought. That's everybody's first thought. Just people don't say it. And, you know, porn sites are funny because it's the most visited sites in the world, but nobody uses them. Oh, gosh, so no. Weird. Gosh, no. I don't. No. No. Oh, my gosh. Everybody watching this. Oh, I, porn? Gross. Not me. Most anyway. used sites in the world, just FYI. <laughs> Thank you for that, Austin. So, anyway... Back to the story, three weeks went by with no sign of Danielle, and there were search parties and vigils and balloon releases. Parents started hiding their children. In fact, some of the parents would tell their kids not to talk to Sheena because Sheena was so adamant about finding Danielle. She was like doing her own investigation, and kids would be like, my parents told me not to talk to you. And she'd be like, oh, okay, thanks, that helps. But everyone was on edge. Tips and leads poured in by the thousands, but nothing led to anything real. Can you imagine that? What kind of tips would they be? So tips would come in from people who said, I'm at a restaurant right now and I swear Danielle is here. Like it looks just like her. The police would come and it wouldn't be her. It would literally be things like that. There was another person who called in who this person was obviously mentally ill, but said that... Danielle had run away and she was taking care of her because she was sick, because Danielle was sick and that she was taking care of her. Turned out not to be true. Gosh, that'd be so frustrating. And then there was even some um, surveillance footage from the hospital and they thought that they had this lead because Danielle was on the cameras at the hospital. Even her family was like, that's Danielle, that's her. And then they go and they find that the footage was actually from six months ago when Danielle's grandma was in the hospital and Danielle was there visiting her. So like, can you just imagine every single tip you get your hopes up just to be crushed? I mean, that has got to be the worst emotional roller coaster I can imagine as a parent. Surely they're not telling every single tip to the family. I'm sure they're not, but I mean, Sheena was very involved in this whole case. Her mom, Rona was super involved. I mean, everybody was, you know, very adamant and determined to find her. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure they knew about a lot of them. So then, finally, 23 days after Danielle disappeared, an off-duty, an off-duty cop sorry, from the Montgomery Sheriff's Department was on his way home, and he was looking out over the creek as he was driving across this bridge. He was a um, seasoned fisherman, so you know, he, you know, a lot of guys just like looking at the water. And he saw something that just didn't look right. And I want you to imagine this, because this is quite a large river. It's maybe not as... Not quite as big as like the Missouri River, which I think is what you and I would equate it to, but it's like a very large creek. And um, there's trees on either side, and then there's rubbish in the water up against the banks. Mm -hmm. So to see something as you're crossing this bridge, going 35 miles an hour, mind you, it's just like, by the grace of God, something caught his eye. And so... He called dispatch and asked for a deputy to come out with some binoculars because he just wasn't sure what he was looking at, if it was like a prank or an actual human body. Because what he saw was dark hair. That's all he saw was mm-hmm. dark hair. Got a trained eye for like watching the water. You know, like people can drive by and see turkeys because they hunt turkey hunt. Right. Yeah. Or maybe it's like that theory you have over... Reticular activating system. It's not a theory. That's a real thing. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean, though. I'm... Sweet theory, Austin. Yeah. No, but explain no. it because it's interesting. No, the reticular activating system, it's the RAS. It's in your brain, and it's where whenever you say, you know, 
oh my gosh, I like yellow cars. All of a sudden you start seeing yellow cars. It's your brain literally triggers those things and it's, mm-hmm. it's a real thing. It's how your body works. Right. Know. So maybe because this case was so you know popular at the time and everybody knew about it, maybe he was trained to kind of just keep an eye out for. Yeah, and, something. You know, you Who never knows? know. So anyway, um, backup arrives and confirms that what the deputy saw was in fact a human body. And once the body was taken out of the river, they were able to almost immediately identify it as Danielle because the pictures that were taken of her earlier that day, the day she went missing, confirmed the clothes that she was wearing. She had a bright yellow rope tied around her waist and attached to that rope were some cinder blocks. And the cinder blocks oh weighed gosh. about, there were two cinder blocks and they weighed about 25 pounds. Um, and there was also a sock found deep inside of her throat and it was the matching sock to the one that was found at the Creek. Oh, that's horrible. So even though Danielle had been found, this whole new assembly of questions emerged. She was found 30 minutes from the Creek where her sock was found. So how did she get all the way there? The Creek and the river did not connect. So she had to have been moved to where she was found on the river. You know, her sock was found at the creek, but her body is found at the river. So obviously mm-hmm. something happened at the creek and she was transported to the river. The cinder blocks were unique in that they weren't your typical cement cinder blocks. These were kind of like older style. They actually had pebbles and little rocks in them, which indicated like an older style build that you would maybe find at an old house. Mm-hmm. So where did these cinder blocks come from? Her manner of death was asphyxiation, which as true crime enthusiasts, we know that typically, you know, that indicates a crime of passion or a deeply personal crime. It's very up close and personal for the criminal and the victim. So it just usually indicates some level of familiarity sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes. Well, within one mile of where Danielle's body was found was the house of Jamichael Malloy. Danielle's ex-boyfriend. Oh, man. So police executed a search warrant for Jamichael's house, and sure enough, they found yellow rope that matched the rope used to tie the cinder blocks to Danielle's body, and neatly stacked next to the garage was a tower of cinder blocks flecked with pebbles, just like the ones found at the river. Even further were two indentations in the ground where it appeared that two cinder blocks were missing. Nearby, they also found Danielle's phone. It had been tossed on the side of the highway near his house, and on her phone was one voicemail from Jamichael, and it said, if you come around me, I will kill you. He had even gone as far as to block her from contacting him, because I guess when they broke up, she would text him kind of incessantly, and then when he blocked her, she would start texting him from somebody else's phone, trying to get a hold of him. And one of the texts that he sent her said, quote, come around my house with the way I'm feeling right now and I'll shoot you with no hesitation, end quote. This quiet, well-mannered, respectful boy is saying these things. And, you know, I understand that, like, sometimes there's heat of the moment things that you say things you don't mean and you don't follow through with them. And a lot of times when you're in these immature relationships, you don't know how to handle your stress or, you know, you just act out a line, but you don't always go as far as to actually follow through with it. But I think this is just really important for parents, especially to be listening to, because 
you know, it just tells you like you, her parents, her family thought that he was like this really good kid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sure that they probably, well, I know from watching interviews of her aunt Sheena, she wishes that she would have been just a little bit more involved. Like she felt like she was really involved, but she wished that she would have just been a little more involved. So, you know, don't hesitate to check your kids' messages and, you know, pay attention and make sure that what's going on in their relationships is respectful on both sides, you know? It's just- well, saying saying anything when you start getting into, like, death threats mm-hmm. or, like, I know a very common thing in young relationships is I'll kill myself if you break up with me yeah. and shit like that. Like, anytime real-life stuff, like, death yes. starts getting thrown around, yeah, it's to be taken serious. Serious. And, and, like, it's so unfortunate that, like, people's brains go to that. Like, so quick when they're immature or young, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But there's even adult relationships like that, yeah. you know? Like, people just don't know, you know, how to regulate themselves. But anyway, um, so, yeah, they found those messages. So police are searching Jamichael's house. Jamichael. I can't believe, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, go ahead. I can't believe they didn't go look into him sooner. Like They did. They questioned him. He was even at the balloon releases. He was... He made that weird comment to Sheena saying that she mentioned she was depressed and that she was thought about killing herself by drowning herself in cold water. It's like he was setting up that theory so that when she would be found, if if she ever was found, it could look like maybe she did it herself because she talked about doing it that way. Okay. Yeah. But, I mean, there's only so much you can do when all you have is hearsay. Mm -hmm. You don't have a body. You don't have any physical evidence of a struggle or a murder. You don't have any blood. There's nothing. You can't do anything. So, anyway, police are searching Jamichael's house, and he's asking the canine handler, what kind of dog is this? How old is it? Can I play with him? Like, questions like that. I'm just thinking in my head when I read that. I was like, man, you better get all the puppy love you can because... It's going to be your last time. So Jamichael gets brought in for questioning once again. This time he's given a polygraph test. He fails it miserably, but he says he's just nervous. And, you know, of course he swears that he has nothing to do with it. And then he says he boasts, you know, you've said you think I'm such a smart kid. Well, if I'm such a smart kid, why in the world would I put her down the street and around the corner then? Like he's saying this. He said exactly where? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he had to have known that's, you know, it probably came out that she was found behind his house. But, you know, he's taunting them like, oh, if I'm so smart, why would I put her down there then? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just like kind of no respect for authority. I get that, you know, you want to claim your innocence, but I don't know. It just seemed a little ballsy. Especially when the rope and the bricks and everything else. Yeah. I mean, they have all these things connecting her to him. Mm -hmm. and And the text and the voicemail. Yeah, yeah. So they go back and forth for a while. Jamichael does not budge. He continues to deny, deny, deny. And then finally, investigators let him go, but they aren't really finished with him yet. They begin picking apart his alibi. Like, behind the scenes, they're doing this, right? So they confront the people who said they saw him at the house that night, which were mostly his family. I think it was like his mom and grandma. And those people admit that they didn't actually physically see him there. They just thought he was there. Mm -hmm. And they brought in his friend, Dominic, who was supposed to be studying with him that night. Right. And when Jim Michael heard about this, that they were bringing Dominic in, 
he called the sheriff's office and told them he was on his way there to confess. What? Yeah. So DeMichael finally caves, and he tells them that on the night of March 11th, he and Dominic snuck out of the house and went to Danielle's so that he could talk to her. He said he threw his wallet at Danielle's window to get her attention to come outside. So Danielle made up the story about taking the notebook to her grandpa so that she could go outside. So she got in Dominic's car, and he drove Danielle and Jamichael to the creek so that they could talk. And while they were in the creek talking, Dominic waited in the car. So during this conversation, it had come up that Danielle told him recently she was pregnant. So he brought a pregnancy test and wanted her to take it in front of him so he could determine the truth. This caused a huge blow-up between the two of them because Jamichael said that even if it was positive... He didn't want to be with her. He would support the baby, but still he did not want to be with her. So he says that she snapped and punched him in the face or slapped, slapped or punched. He says he started choking her and blacked out and that when he came to, she just wasn't breathing. So he ran up the hill to find Dominic. Jamichael tells Dominic, you know, that they weren't supposed to be out. They're both going to be charged with her murder. So he needs to help get rid of her body. So they go load her up into Dominic's car and went back home. Jamichael says that that's when he got the center blocks and the rope, tied them around her waist, and put her in the river. And as for the sock in her mouth, according to Danielle's own mother, Rona, she said that, you know, his friend, Dominic, said that he could not stand the sound. So Dominic said that Jamichael could not stand the sound that my daughter's body was making. I guess the gas is being expelled. And so they took her boots off and took a sock and shoved it in her mouth. And Dominic told detectives the car started to smell. So that's why he put the sock in her mouth. But either way, they admitted to putting the sock in her mouth. And as for the word help that was carved into the ground, mm -hmm. it actually was unrelated. And it was likely written by some other kids long just before Danielle, around. just like you said earlier. But I mean, of course, at the time, it's just kind of like, oh, what Eerie. an unfortunate coincidence. Yeah. Um, you know, I wonder, though, if it weren't for the word help, and obviously if it weren't for the sock, I wonder if they would have had any idea where she would have been. You know, they, would have, they until, wouldn't have until, known she was at the creek. Yeah, until the guy found her in the, the river. The river, right, yeah. But I mean, having that tie from the creek to the river is kind of just... You know, mm -hmm. I feel like it adds so much more information to the case. They may not have had, had the sock definitely not been there. Right. So anyway, Danielle's family was not totally buying Jamichael's version of events. I mean, obviously, I think they appreciated that he admitted to it, but they found discrepancies in his story. They found it incredibly odd that he left his cell phone at home while all this happened, almost as if he knew that it would track his GPS location that night. And... They also didn't buy the story of him blacking out at the creek because when investigators took him to the creek later after he had already confessed, they asked him to reenact exactly what happened. And he closed his eyes and he was reenacting, like in his mind, the, you know, the investigator was like, what are you doing now? And he's like, I have my hands around her throat. And he just waits and waits. Ten seconds go by. The investigator's like, what's happening now? And he's like, my hands are still around her throat. He did that for at least a minute, a full 60 seconds before his lawyer was like, that's enough. Stop. 
And I think that right there proved he wasn't blacked out. He knew exactly what he was doing. Because, I mean, it takes a while. I think, I think I've heard it takes like four minutes to actually strangle someone to the point where they are done. They're dead. Four minutes? It's a long time. So the fact that he knew, he was aware enough that it took a long time for her to stop breathing was like, you didn't black out. You knew exactly what was happening. Oh, my goodness. So um, as for the story about her being pregnant, it turned out, you know, via the autopsy, Danielle was not pregnant. She was never pregnant. So the theory, you know, that maybe Jamichael was worried about his future in the Marine Corps and how a baby would jeopardize that, it just didn't make any sense because Danielle was not pregnant, and that has been confirmed. So I don't know. I mean, I know sometimes I actually know of a girl who faked a pregnancy, but I'm, I'm not saying Danielle did that. I'm just saying it's not unheard of for girls to be like, well, I'm pregnant. I mean, it's even a joke played in the office where Kelly is trying to get her boyfriend Ryan back, and she's like... I hope you are serious because I'm pregnant. And then she like shakes her head. Yeah. But I mean, it's like, it's like a common joke though. And it's like this thing, it's not unheard of that girls will fake a pregnancy to keep a guy around. Mm -hmm. So whether that was true or not, you know, whether she threatened that or not, I mean, who knows? It doesn't matter because it doesn't obviously warrant what what happened. happened. But the final straw that seemed to prove that this was a premeditated murder was that Jamichael had downloaded an app to his phone that would send text messages at certain times. So that night, when he was texting his friends at random times in the night to kind of place an alibi, to create an alibi for himself, it was actually his app. And he had planned out these messages that he was going to send to various girls. He was sending flirty texts. One of them even was like, hey, I just woke up. What you doing? And like it was literally a planned text that sent while he was... Which premeditated. Obviously shows it was premeditated. Right. Yeah. You're planning. You're creating an alibi. Yeah. So you can go do something you know you're not supposed to do. So anyway, um, at the end, ultimately, Jamichael accepted a plea of guilty to second degree murder, which I don't get. Second degree murder? I mean, you obviously planned it, but I think... You know, the problem with accepting plea deals is, you know, often the DA may be aware, you know, when they offer a plea deal, they may be aware that, first of all, he was 17 when this happened, so he can't be, he can't face the death penalty. And I think they know, too, that trials will be costly. So a lot of times when people, you know, argue about plea deals or they're like, I don't understand why there's a plea deal. Obviously, he did it. A lot of times it's the political shit behind the scenes as far as like, oh, it's going to cost a lot of money and, you know, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to have all this evidence and maybe there's evidence that, you know, would raise a little doubt that maybe he didn't do, you know, that that it wasn't premeditated. How can we really truly prove it was premeditated? Mm -hmm. So anyway, there's little things like that that go into it. I still just black and white the way that I see justice is not the way that justice actually is, right? So... When I see that he pled guilty to second-degree murder, he was sentenced to 25 to 31 years in prison. He's still going to have a chance at a life. I mean, it's not going to be a great life. You know, it's going to be a short life. But he's still going to get a chance at life. He'll be out at 40, 45. Yeah, whereas Danielle was 15. That's crazy. And Dominic, the friend that helped him, he was sentenced to six to eight years in prison for being an accessory to murder. So Dominic is expected to be released on October 5th of this year while Jamichael's projected release date is May 31st of 2041. Gosh. Yeah. That was wild. 
It is pretty crazy. I mean, it when you think about it, you know, it only taking three weeks. Three weeks is still a long time, but you know, I guess it's better than years because mm-hmm. some some of these cases they take years. Or they never find out. Yeah, but um, I don't know. It's a sad deal, but. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I mean, as much as you can enjoy it, obviously. You crime junkies probably freaking like it. I always feel weird saying that. Anyway, we'll see you later this week. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you. Mama, mystery, out. Bye.